0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If
2: we're gonna pray-
0: Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Uh, I think I'm going with what are you eating? So breakfast, break fast. Have you already broken the fast? You know, how long did your fast last? And what did you have for breakfast? Or what are you having for breakfast? Or what are you planning to have for breakfast? What are you eating? And what is eating you? Mm -hmm. Or what is eating at you? Something's eating at you this morning. What's eating at you? What's, what's got your attention? What's like gnawing on, your, gnawing on your thoughts? What are you eating? What's for breakfast? <clears throat> and uh, what's eating you? Thought that uh, here in the last couple of days of January, always kind of fun to circle back around to the commitments that we made at the outset of the year. Some people call them resolutions. Some people, you know, have other names for them. Um, when we think about the commitments that we made, um the things that we said all right this is this is who I'm going to be in the new year these are the things that I'm going to do maybe I'm going to commit to a a, a daily bible reading plan maybe I am going to commit to taking a walk every day maybe I'm going to sleep in my workout clothes so that when I get up I don't have any excuse for not going and working out maybe I'm going to you know drink more water by volume I don't know what what uh m- maybe I'm going to um go back to church what um what are some of the Things that at the beginning of this year, so some 30 days ago almost, um, you know, you resolved to do. And we, maybe it was, I'm not going to look at my phone before I look at the Bible. Maybe it's, uh, I'm not going to um, get on my feet before I get on my knees. I don't know. Like, what kinds of things did you commit to and how's that going? And this is not a, Ah, I see you out there not doing the things that you committed to. No, 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 no. This is me standing in front of a mirror naked, right? <laughs> Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. Um, so, you know, I'm with you. I am with you in the, the challenges of um, keeping the godly commitments that we make. And so therefore we have to make them again. We have to confess. We have to return. We have to hit the reset button. So here are your two options today. You can either hit the snooze button or you can hit the reset button. If those are the two options, which button are you gonna which button are you gonna push? <clears throat> You're gonna hit the snooze button, putting off the inevitable over and over and over and over and over again. Like just keep putting it off hitting the snooze button. Hit the snooze button on working out. Hit the snooze button on uh making the right food choice. Hit the snooze button on going to bed at the right time. Hit the snooze button on a, a, a social media fast. Hit the snooze button on I don't know, whatever it is for you, making that, making that reconciling phone call, I mean, whatever, whatever it is for you, are you, hit, are you just constantly hitting the snooze button? Maybe it's time today to hit the reset button. Reset allows you to restore a system to its original state, to, rest- to restart something in the case of a malfunction or if it freezes up, which I think is probably more the case. Like, right, it freezes up. I got, I got stuck the reset button is going to help you get unstuck and begin again, again. All right. The beginning of the year, you know, we tried to begin again and now we got to begin again, again. We got to hit the reset button. So today I want you to consider instead of hitting the snooze button on whatever it is, whatever the good thing is that you know you're supposed to be doing. You know the good you're supposed to be doing. It is a sin of omission to fail to do the good you know you're called to do. We've talked frequently about the reality that delayed obedience is disobedience. Well, another way of saying that um, is I commit a sin of omission every time I fail to do the good I know I'm called to do. God has already revealed to you what is good. And so, Every time you and I fail to do all the good we can, it's a sin of omission. We often talk mostly about sins of commission, the sins we commit, the, the, the things that we do that are wrong. We don't often talk about all the good we fail to do. Well, those are sins of omission. So if you know, it's a good, it's a good thing to drink more water. It's a good thing to get more rest. It's a good thing to enter into stress-reducing practices um, like prayer and meditation. The good thing is to go take a seven-minute walk. The good thing is to, you know, count to 20 before responding. Like, whatever. Whatever the good thing is that you know that you are called to do, every time you fail to do it, every time I fail to do it, we commit a sin of omission. And we need to reset. When God brings it to our attention, we need to hit the reset button. God, reset my heart. God, reset my mind. God, reset my affections. God, reset my schedule. God, reset Whatever it needs to be reset in that moment, begin again, again, and again, again, and again. Learning to hit the reset button is itself a spiritual discipline because the snooze button, the snooze button is the one that, you know, that's just comfortable. It's habitual. It's harder to hit the reset button because the reset button means we have to change. So... um. That's my encouragement this morning. Consider where you've been hitting the snooze button and where instead you need to start hitting the reset button. Begin again, again. Every day is a new opportunity. What is, uh, what's eating at you? What are you eating and what is eating uh, at you? That's going to be the question that we're going to put in front of Dr. Linda Mental. She's going to join us next. We're going to, We're going to talk about emotional eating and we're going to talk about helping our kids who are emotional eaters. But, you know, I'm going to press the issue beyond just our kids to our spouses and our parents and maybe ourselves. So what are we eating? Why are we eating it? And what's eating at us? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hi, our friend... uh, Dr. Linda Mental is joining us now here on Mornings with Carmen. You can find her at drlindamental.com. You can listen to her here on the Faith Radio Network, the Dr. Linda Mental show. Um, Linda, good morning. Welcome back.
1: Good morning. It's great to be with you. And I was thinking about uh the whole issue of, you know, New Year's and what do we commit to and how do we, how are we doing? And this is a great time, uh, Carmen, to look at that um and say, have I fallen off the wagon yet? Because it's interesting when when I looked at this and did a show on this one year, by the end of January, beginning of February, most people have fallen off their New Year's commitments. <laughs> so good time to think about what's going on in our lives. What do we want to change? And certainly one of the biggest difficulties for so many people is emotional eating. And that is one of the areas in our lives where we say, this is the year. I'm going to get control of my eating. I'm going to exercise more and do a lot of the dis- disciplines, including the spiritual ones. I'm going to hit those hard and I'm going to make a difference.
0: Control is a really good um, word in, that you just used. Um, it is something that feels beyond our control. And, it, and, and that means it's controlling us. So can you just talk a little bit about that? How, how is it that food becomes something that controls us? Because that's what this feels like.
1: It does, and and it's very uh, difficult unless you look at the reasons why you're you're eating or overeating or emotional eating or compulsive eating, whatever you want to call it. But part of it is we have to look at how do we cope in life? What do we deal? How do we deal with the stresses in our life? Because we all have stress. We all have life experiences that hit us, things that you know are hard to deal with. I've had. Several, several um, people I know who have deaths in their family this past few weeks. And so when we're feeling something emotional, when we feel a negative, what we call a negative emotion, maybe grief, maybe loss, maybe stress, maybe anxiety, maybe even boredom, or any type of emotion that is hard to feel, rather than feeling it, learning how to tolerate it, learning how to move through it, In American culture, a lot of times what we do is we try to numb it or we try to medicate it by all kinds of things. We might, you know, intensively shop. We might get on video games. We might do some things that are very negative, like looking at pornography or using alcohol or drugs or um, anything to sort of not feel the pain, to medicate that pain, to numb the pain and to get some immediate gratification in the middle of all of this. So the acceptable one in the church is really emotional eating because that's not something, you know, if you go to the corner and you score some cocaine and you tell somebody they're going to they're going to really get on you, but if, you know, you go to the corner and you score a dozen donuts, they're not going to say anything to you about, you know, what do you why are you eating all those donuts? So it is one of the acceptable ways to deal with our emotions. And so when somebody is overeating and emotional eating, the the quickest thing you have to do is, uh, first of all, identify it and look at, okay, when I overeat, what's happening right before I eat? And then what am I feeling? What am I feeling? So every time I feel anxious or every time I feel bored or every time I have a fight with my husband or whatever it is, a lot of times in the therapy work, I'd have people track that and start to say, look at what triggers eating when you're not hungry. Because this is emotional eating is all about eating when you're not hungry. And then once you identify it, we can get into a lot of the whys. Because if you're going to make a change in your life in any area, you have to identify the obstacles to that change. Because people have great intentions. We all want to do the right thing. We all want to be better. Um, But a lot of times what trips us up are those obstacles. So you have to identify what those obstacles are.
0: Um we're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. We're talking about how to help our children um who are you know eating emotionally or emotional eaters. So the first question is is my child overeating for emotional reasons? Um and I I do think that Linda um that's a conversation that almost never happens um because the parent doesn't want to deal with the issue and the issue is you know often not um, isolated to the child. Right. <laughs> Am I right? Is, is that fair? Like, I don't want to admit that it was my divorce that resulted in my child emotionally eating. I don't want to admit that it's my, you know, parenting that has somehow resulted in this. Is that fair? I mean, is that.
1: You know, sometimes it's it's it. children overeat and adults do the same thing for surprising reasons. Sometimes it's hidden stuff that you don't know. So sometimes a mm. child could be being teased at school. Uh, they could have been abused somehow by another child or someone in the family that you're unaware of. They could have some type of trauma, but you're right. In some cases, it's because maybe the parent doesn't know what to do because they know that there's a problem. They know that the divorce has been really difficult. They know that there's stress in the family. They know there's a lot of fighting because a lot of times kids will eat as as well adults when there's a lot of high conflict in families. Sometimes, you know, a child is going through a really difficult medical issue or illness and they have a lot of physical discomfort and we, we tend to give them food or something good. I mean, I think of all the mm. times we associate oh, food to with them. Yeah, to comfort and to bring them some other type of thing. And mm. one of the reasons we overeat, and it's a really obvious one, but not one we think about. But several years ago, I did a show on PBS called Surviving Abundance. And it was a show about how much food is available and how often you know, we get triggered to eat just because we see it, we smell it, we have it, and we just eat out of boredom. And discomfort. And when you're a parent, you have to notice that pattern and say, okay, hold on here. You know, just because we're bored and we've been sitting around the house for three day, you know, three hours, we're not going to sit and just munch on chips for that whole time. So there's a lot of factors in here of parents being aware, parents being willing to deal with emotions. And let's let's face it, a lot of times kids model what parents are doing. So if parents are struggling with their own negative emotions and their own issues in their life, and their eating as a consequence of that
0: it's going to be modeled for the child to do the same. I know that it um it takes time it feels expensive in terms of time and and financial resources um, but planting a garden as small as it may be, actually cultivating some um some food that is healthy where the only hands that ever touch it from um from the time that it's a seed until the time that you you know harvest it as a um you know as a fully ripe fruit or vegetable um and enjoying that as a whole food a whole piece of raw food like i do think that the distance we live from the food we eat not just like physical distance like we live far from farms but like the The number of times another pair of hands or machine or something has added to or processed that food, like we then end up with something that's a long way from the whole food that we were first intended to eat. So I think there's a the food itself is a part of creating maybe not the initial emotional overeating, but the addiction to the practice of of overeating. Is that fair? Am I just making up well, stuff?
1: No, you're it's a, it's another factor in this whole thing. So when I when I worked with Inner City, um kids a lot, one of the things we would do is try to come up with a community garden or some place mm. where they could because there was food scarcity in some of these urban, poor neighborhoods where the only the only restaurant in there was a McDonald's or one of the fast food restaurants. And they they had a grocery store that was five miles away and they didn't have transportation or bus service to that. And then you you look at a, a single mom who's really struggling and you go to the store and it's like, okay, five for one dollar macaroni and cheese. Of course that probably I mean, not anymore, but that was when I was in college. I remember it was five for one. No, now, it's and four.
0: now it's four for a dollar. Or, you know. Okay. Yeah. Or a so, dollar so, each, even.
1: Yeah. Versus a half a pint of raspberries, which would be really good for you, which are like $6.99. So, yeah. you know, you're making choices about this type of thing. And, there is a lot in these processed foods with high fat, high sugar that is appealing to the tongue and it does have this sort of addictive quality to it. Now it's messing us up physically so much, but there is something to that constant eating of those high processed foods. So it's the foods we eat, but it's also why we eat and you know the finances, all these different things. We've got a perfect storm for making it very easy for people to go, you know what, I don't Feel so good today. I'm going to sit down with a bag of chips and hot sauce and I'm just going to eat my way through those bad feelings. And we do that way too often and that's part of the problem is trying to shift and make some changes and look at why we're eating and what is our relationship with food. You know, we need to tell kids the the reason we have to eat well isn't to diet or to lose weight, or to look good, which unfortunately, you know, or avoid teasing, it's really about creating a healthy body, strong bones, getting your brain to function well, and make it more of a health concern rather than an appearance concern. So that's another whole area that gets in into this whole discussion at some point.
0: All right, a couple of uh, practical ideas here. If you you live in a setting where There are people who are eating the wrong things in the wrong volume. What might it look like for you to plant a garden and invite other people into that process? Could you plant a garden on the rooftop if you live in an urban setting? Could you plant um, some kind of vertical garden um, on the side of your building at the sidewalk? Could you use some of that church green space that nobody's playing on anymore and plant a garden? Could there be a garden at the perimeter of a cemetery? Like, I don't know. Let's start thinking about how we as Christians could cultivate this 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 spring. Spring's coming, and you and I are going to have opportunities to press in on this subject, not just for ourselves, but in the communities where we live. And maybe just start here. Everything you're invited to that's a carry-in, every single thing that you're invited to that's a carry-in, you always show up with the fresh fruit and the fresh vegetables every single time, not just so that there's a healthy option for you, But so people begin to imagine that, you know what? You don't have to bring a thing covered with gravy to everything. Like, you be the person who goes to the, you know, takes the extra time, goes to the extra expense. You always be the person that shows up with the fresh fruits and the fresh vegetables for every gathering. And you bring enough that people will have enough to take home. We're going to talk about hurtful words with Linda here in just a moment. Um, Because some of what's eating at us is the way people are speaking to us. Um, And so we're going to talk about dealing with that next. How are you dealing with the hurtful words? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I mean, it's a brand new year and I'm already tired. I don't just mean tired. I mean like spiritually tired, soul tired. Maybe you're struggling too. Maybe Christmas didn't all work out exactly like you thought. My friend Susie Larson wants to take us on a journey to explore God's goodness, his healing power, to know his peace that passes all understanding, to draw near to him. If you want in on that, all you have to do is text the word good to 877-933-2484. Again, you just text the word good to 877-933-2484. And every single morning, you'll get a text message from Susie Larson to wake up to the goodness of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. We're talking with our friend and colleague, Linda Mental, you can find her at the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also find her at drlindamental.com. Um, Linda, let's talk about hurtful words um, and what we do when hurtful words are directed at us. How do we get beyond that?
1: You know, I don't know that I've ever lived in a time, Carmen, where we are so influenced by words because there's so many around us. I mean, I, when you think about the, the shift to social media and how many times a day we can look at comments and if we post anything at all, the the, the horrible mean stuff that comes back to people. And... I I have such a burden for, you know, children right now and, and young teens when they hear these things on social media that are, that they're allowing to define them just because somebody else says it. And, you know, we have social influencers and every time, you know, Kim Kardashian says something, everybody has to get that product or do whatever. so. Words are very powerful, and Scripture knows that because they talk about words, you know, having—and the mouth having the power of the tongue is—it brings life or death, right? So there's a lot of death in the tongue that is being spoken in our culture and our kids, and and even adults are just surrounded by that. And we don't seem to have good self-control, and we don't seem to— do what the Scripture says, which is to focus on the things that are positive and truthful and good and all the, the things that are talked about in Philippians. But we really have to figure out a way to not let those words you know, penetrate us so much. And I remember one time we were talking about this, and somebody said, you need to become like Teflon. You need to, you need to not let those words stick and be able to hear them, but then not let them go deep into your spirit. And I, and I know that's hard because even as an adult, I have trouble with that. When, when students say, you know, mean things on an evaluation, I, I get real upset, even though I know I'm like, who are these people, you know, these students don't know what they don't know. But there are times when you really do have to say, okay, I'm not going to let this stuff stick. And I used to say to my kids when they were younger all the time, because they would hear things at school and, you know, kids can be mean, I would say, you know, no one has the power to define you but God. And He's already declared who you are. And then we'd go through several scriptures of, you know, He He cherishes you, He delights in you, and this is who God says you are. So the real foundation of dealing with hurtful words is one of the one of the phrases that our church uses. So our church has a three-point mission. It's grounded in the Word, alive in the Spirit, and sent on mission. And I love the grounded in the Word because if you don't know what God says about you, and if you don't understand that you have one audience to please, as Os Guinness would tell us, the audience of one, there's only an audience of one, and you please God. And beyond that, I mean, yes, you should please your parents, and yes, you should you know, be nice to people and do things for people, but you have to be grounded in the Word of God to know who you are and to know what your identity is. And so many people are lost on that because they're listening to voices in the culture and they're parroting what they hear. They're not grounded in the Word and understanding that approval for others is never going to be enough. And if you're somebody listening, you're thinking, yeah, but I didn't get that approval growing up, and I didn't hear the affirming words I needed. That is a loss, and that is tough. But God is the corrective experience. He's the corrective parent for all of us. And part of it is He also, when you're a follower of Christ, He also puts people in our life to affirm us. So He'll bring a coach or a teacher or a friend or somebody around. You have to learn to distinguish the voices of truth the voices that are consistent with Scripture, and the voices that give value to you. And you're valued because you're a child of God. That's all it takes. It's unconditional in God's
0: eyes. The voice of truth tells me a different story. Um, and The voice of truth is the one that tells me the truth. There are all kinds of voices in the world um, speaking lies and telling me lies about myself. And um, I do have to know the voice of truth. I got to be uh, I have to know the one who is the way and the truth and the life. I have to be reading the word of God and I got to be spending time with um, with people who are going to be encouraging me in my walk of faith because the world is full of people who are discouraging me. And sometimes it's fellow Christians and that is really, really challenging
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: as well. So Linda, thank you so much for your encouraging words um, today to us. I hope that we are of encouragement to you as well. You operate in a uh, in a in a world that's often hostile um, to the faith you profess. And so just know that we we are right there with you as sisters and brothers in Christ, um, whatever you're facing today.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that, and and it's yeah. no different probably than other people in their professions or their walk of life or wherever they live around people who aren't believers, and that's more and more the case. We just have to stay strong, and you're so right. It just all comes back to being grounded in the Word and knowing what God says about all of these things that we face in our life. So, thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. That's Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her online at drlindamental.com. dot com. Um, hey, this is really cool. While um, while we were having this conversation, Kay Kiefer, who is a friend in Fargo, um, she texted in a link from her website. She's been on the show before. We are Everywhere Life, um, women who have experienced abortion in the past and their testimonies in a ministry that is, um, you know, not only pro-life but pro-life going on. Like, right, pro the life you're going to live after um, your experience. Of abortion, so we are everywhere. Life and Kay just posted this yesterday, and she's like, "I can't believe you're talking with Linda about the same subject." I just posted on this sticks and stones um, experience in my own life, and so anyway. Um, first of all, Kay, good morning. Thank you so much. Love that you're listening in Fargo today. Um, blessings to each and every person listening. And here's what my takeaway is from um, from Kay's post. And if you want me to send you the direct link, it's just fantastic. But you and I, regardless of who we are and where we live and what we think about um, abortion, here's the pivot we need to make, we have to make, we must make. You need to assume, you need to assume that in every conversation you are having, every public comment you are making, Every social media post you are, um, you are posting, every single conversation that's overheard, you need to absolutely assume that a, that a woman who has had an abortion is standing right there. There is a person who has had an abortion who is in earshot of what you are saying. Every single moment. And so um, just because you think that what you are saying is among a group of Christians, well, there's an awful lot of Christians who have had abortions, paid for abortions, performed abortions. Um, So the pro-life conversation is a big one. It's multifaceted. Um, Marisol Rodriguez is one of my favorite genuinely pro-life advocates out there in the world Um, She's been with us before. We talked about her book, Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry that Empowers Women and Supports Families in Overcoming Poverty. We all want to help. We all want women to know that we're for them and not against them. We all want babies to be wanted and we want moms to know that there is support, but we do not often know how to practically make all of that happen. Marisol is going to join us next and we're going to talk a little bit more Beyond Her Yes and What a Ministry in Your Church might actually look like. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Marisol Rodriguez is joining us now. You will remember our prior conversation about her book, Beyond Her Yes Reimagining Pro Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. Um, Marisol, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Hi, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you for having me back again. Absolutely. So um, for
0: folks who, you know, might have slept since the last time we talked, tell us, um, I think let's do this. Let's start with the life experience of your mom. And I'm asking this because I think that helping us get in touch with and understand what what generational poverty is and how much um how much of the pro-life conversation is missed when we don't understand the reality of a woman who has grown up in and is now living in generational poverty. So can you just talk a little bit about your mom's lived experience and therefore yours?
2: Yeah. So my mom, you know, was born in Puerto Rico in 1921, <laughs> a long, long time ago. And um, she was raised in yeah, in generational poverty, you know, out in the, in, in the, um, in villages and the mountains, you know, things like that. So they were very disconnected from society. And, um, and of course that disconnects you also from education and from any kind of, um, work experience and things like that. So my mom, and also, you know, she, by nine years old, she was an orphan as well. So she had a very rough background, but the, the point here and how it connects to me in the book is that as being a woman that is uneducated, um, and um going about the world you know her only means of survival especially after her first relationship that she had she had a um, few children um with her first relationship and then he he died he passed away so now you have a single mother that has no means of support right so um no education no means of support no job skills right so now you're you're beholden on the next man to come into your life to provide for you so um and and you know what this is funny because um this is happening today and a lot of times mm-hmm. when we see the women that we're serving at the center and they keep coming back and they're pregnant again and again and maybe they're pregnant by a different man every time and our first thought is the promiscuity our first thought is you know what is wrong with her and and it, yes it could be promiscuity and maybe it is oftentimes but also there's this woman these women out there like my mom that just don't have the skill set to survive And how you survive is by having a man providing for you. And and Mm -hmm. it turns into this vicious cycle of needing support and trying to provide for your children. And, of course, it's very dangerous. It's a very destructive cycle. And then um, when my mom was in a relationship with my father- Um, which was the last man in her life. But see, after she met my father, she met Jesus, the most important man in her life that turned everything around. And it wasn't just Jesus that she met, but learning about Jesus connected her to a church community that rallied around her and changed her life and in turn changed all her children's lives as well. So, Mm. And that's what Beyond Her Yes is about. It's about if we want to, A, number one, have women choose life. Right. B, we want women who choose life to stop being in that perpetual cycle of I, I call them serial life choosers because they choose life again and again and again. And that's wonderful. But what's happening in her life that keeps her in that same cycle? Um, and, and we have to speak to that and we have to address that. And the thing is, is that when she finds a community of support, she no longer has to lean on men to um provide safety. Sometimes it's safety that they need when you're living in a very um, violent urban neighborhood, um, you need you need a man in the house to care for you. So, um, And generational s- poverty is like, it's like a disease, you know, it keeps spreading. It spreads until it's stopped, right? And in my family, the generational poverty stopped at my generation because my mom got connected to a church. And that's really what my book is about. It's about how a church transformed the woman's life, her children's life, and now her children... Or um, at least this child of hers is out there um, um, following the Lord and and um, having the Lord use me to transform other people's lives, you know, and and encouraging the church to take up that role. You know, Um, I think it's a very important role and I think it's a very important ministry that churches don't even know um, is available to them. And um, and I I think that it's going to be transformational for the church itself and also for the for the women that they serve.
0: Yeah, I'm just imagining, you know, there there are churches across the country that are dying and the, the church is dying and it's in the middle of a neighborhood where there are a lot of women who are having a hard time raising their kids they have said yes they are pro life they 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 have children um and and yet they have no support system they have no network of relationships they would benefit by having some very basic financial literacy conversations and job skill training and leadership training all of which by the way if you're listening right now that's what's going on through Marisol and Um, and the ministry that she's engaged in called Renew. And I'm happy to send you direct links to um, their model and how they're doing it. It's all in the book as well, Beyond Her Yes. Um, Marisol, um, when we talk about the survival mindset versus Mm -hmm. the thriving mindset, tell us what those are and how that shift takes place.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the, the survival mindset is all about how can I get past today. You know, how can I keep my children fed today? How can I keep them safe today? And, um, you know, imagine being a, a single mom with five daughters in a neighborhood run by drug dealers, you know, um, you're in constant fear of that. And and what and what brings safety to you again, like I mentioned before, is having a man in the house, right? Mm-hmm. So so the survival mindset is just how can I get by today? And that's the mindset of people in poverty. So oftentimes, you know, when we talk to someone in poverty, we want them to think about the future. We want them to think about, you know, these long term things, and they can't. You, they just can't go there. They have a very short horizon time horizon. And it's just getting past today. The thriving mindset says today is taken care of I'm okay today. So now I get to worry about tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And, um, and to move someone from the survival mindset to the thriving mindset, first you have to stabilize them when they're at. You've got to let them be able to give them a, create an environment around them where they can breathe, where the brain that is in constant survival mode, you know, looking for danger, looking for what's the next thing that's going to happen. That brain gets to rest, you know, and in that rest, it can consider other things. You know, it can consider tomorrow. It can consider um abstract topics like heaven and hell. And where is my soul going to spend eternity? Because really, when you're hungry, and you're just worried about surviving, you're not worried about your soul at that moment, you know, so moving people to the thriving mindset, it requires um, providing a space environment for them to rest. It requires education, because when they learn to manage the urgencies they have today in a way that doesn't hurt them, because they'll figure it out how to get past today but oftentimes it's through doing things that you know come back and uh uh-huh. down the road you know it's like you're kicking the can down the road as the saying goes uh-huh. right so they just took care of it for today but that same problem is coming back tomorrow to get you right so um when we when we teach them these skill sets on how to solve problems in a way that they are truly solved in a way that is healthy and and for you physically and emotionally and spiritually. Now they can start taking steps towards um, this thriving mindset. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and it takes patience. So I always tell people that want to work in this type of field is like, boy, you, you, you will learn patience. If the Lord called you to this, he's going to teach you some patience on how to wait on people to make these shifts because they've been ingrained for generations, that this is how life is and this is how it works. And here we come and we're saying, no, it can be different. You know, how do you get someone to trust that? You know, it takes time to build that relationship of trust to then be able to um, provide the education. Mentoring is super important as well because you could know something, but you don't know how to apply it. And that's your mentors come alongside and help you apply those, those concepts, those skills to your daily life
0: yeah the education the information is one thing the mentoring mm-hmm. the modeling of it um is another thing, and that is you know the that's where this relationship um is essential and all of that takes time um and it takes the investment of um of people with people and so thank you first of all for modeling it for us. Thank you for um demonstrating it like sort of proving it out in one place and I want to talk with that about that when we come back. Um, but also thank you for the book. So we're talking with Marisol Rodriguez. The book is Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. Um, We want to talk with um, Marisol about the Renew Life Center. Like, this is a real thing. This is real ministry happening in real time, making real transformation in women's lives. And so we're going to hear some of those stories next. And you're going to learn how to do this in your own church. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope and You work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with Marisol Rodriguez. You can find her at Renew Life Center NJ. That's for New Jersey. Renew Life Center, nj.org. They're also, you know, on all the socials. Um, her book, Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. This is a distinctly Christian um, pro-life for every life, for all of life ministry. If you're one of those people that's been complaining, you've been complaining that too many people are too dependent on government assistance. So this is your, you know, sort of like get off the complaining, you know, get out of the complainer's chair and actually get activated on this. Generational poverty is real in order to overcome poverty, which plays a vital role in in why women are um, not leading flourishing families. Um, there's all kinds of conversations that we could be having about, well, where are those dads and what's going on and the breakdown of the, yes, but we live in reality. And now there are babies that we encouraged women to have. These women said, yes, when, when pro-lifers said, you know, you got to have that baby. That's a, these are women who said, yes, this is a baby. I love this baby. I want to raise this baby, but they are living in a cycle of generational poverty that they cannot get out of themselves. And so if all they're doing, if the best they can do on their own, all by themselves, is survive, then how can we help them thrive? How could we help one mom break the cycle of generational poverty right where we live today? Because you change her life, you change the life of all of her children, you change the world. So that's what we're talking about with Marisol today. Education is one thing. Um, mentoring is a whole nother thing. The restoration of dignity and hope is, it goes way beyond all of that. So Marisol, tell us, um, tell us the story of, of renew, the Renew Life Center, like what happens there? And maybe you could tell us about one graduate.
2: Well, I, I was running a pregnancy resource center in a urban city in, in New Jersey. And, um, and, and I loved it. You know, I, I I'm there, leading women to choose life. Me and my volunteer team, and and everything is is wonderful, you know. And I'm feeling very fulfilled with my ministry work in helping women see, you know, the sacredness of the life in their womb and and leading them to that beautiful choice of yes. Um, and then one day, I get an email from one of the women we have seen, and and and, and this particular woman. Um, that I got the email from was uh, one of the clients that were on on the higher end of survival of, of the women we were serving. She had a college education. She had a full-time job, I think, as an elementary school teacher. Um, but yet she was considering this abortion because she was single. And um, so anyway, she chose life. Anyway, I get this email And her email stunned me because here is this woman who was far ahead, further ahead economically than any other woman that I serve, and she's sending me this email pretty much in a nutshell telling me, hey, (laughs) you – you led me to choose life, but now I'm five months into this and I'm lost, and and mm-hmm. I don't have enough money for for to support a baby, and I don't have any supplies, and I don't know how I'm going to pay for childcare, and I don't know if I can continue with this pregnancy. Now, if you know anything about New Jersey, you know that a pregnancy is legal up until you know, <laughs> until the day uh, of birth. So at five months, she could still turn around, and 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 she was feeling hopeless and dark, and she ended the email with saying. I feel lost, and I don't want to be a failure. And that just hit me. It hit me, and like a ton of bricks. And then all these questions flooded me. Like, like, well, how can she be in such dire straits? And if she's in this situation, what's happening to all the other women that are coming in, like, with nothing, no education, no work, no nothing? And it just overwhelms me. And that's when I started thinking that that I, my ministry was being was sighted. we were just thinking about that yes we were yes driven you know but we didn't think about what would happen afterwards and and then i start reflecting on my mother and my own life growing up in in poverty and and what helped me out of poverty what helped my mother's children Be children who all get an education and and some go to college. And now my mother's grandchildren are are college educated, you know? So and it was the church and it was faith in Christ. So when my mother was led to faith in Christ and led to a church, that was the catapult that was the, the, the transition to this new life. So we don't want to forget about the gospel because it's really mm. the most important part. We're just going to address her worries. We're going to address her fears. We're going to address her economic situation so we can get to what really matters, which is her soul. Right. I love that. And, um, and that is, and, and that is done through the mentoring through the one-on-one as you're helping her. That's what they did with my mom in church, you know, when they taught her how to open a checking account. And the women at church taught her how to write a check or, or, or how to save for the future. All of this happen organically in a small little storefront church in North New Jersey, you know. So um and this is what I want to see replicated today. And and today, you know, churches are bigger and more wealthy and we're all worried about, oh, but we need a hundred thousand dollars to launch that ministry. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You need a you need a few people with this burden in their heart to see the outcome of this baby that is coming into the world because we We touched a, a mom's heart, we touched her heart with the truth of God's word about about the importance and and the sacredness of life and now what, what is that baby's outcome gonna be like? is that cycle gonna if we don't intervene, the cycle will perpetuate that baby will grow up and and what you know maybe be a teen pregnant mom maybe be uh, uh, involved in a gang or or drop out of high school. So th- this is really what happens oftentimes down the road yeah. if we don't intervene. And yeah. I would just Mar- like to see better outcomes. Yeah.
0: Marisol, I obviously love and am a super fan of um, of your ministry and its model. And I want other people to um be encouraged. I want um so I got I want you guys to check out renewlifecenternj.org. I want you to think about what's happening in the community where you live. I want you to think about where your church is geographically located. I want you to imagine having a baby shower for every pregnant woman within uh, a city block of your church. Like just start there. Like start somewhere. Start mm-hmm. today. Lean in. Marisol, um, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Hey, um, today, as you are um, as you are praying, pray for people who are literally on trial for an act of faith. There are six pro-life activists on trial today in Nashville, Tennessee. They are facing federal charges um, related to activity at an abortion clinic um, just outside of Nashville in 2021. Pray for them. Um, some of them, you know, they may go to federal prison for 11 years and face... Quarter million dollar fines, like it's a big deal. Um, so, you know, be praying, uh, be praying for others today um, in our walk of faith as Christians in the world that God so loves. Have a great day, and God bless.